said no, I realized it wasn't your voice that I heard. <laughs> so, um, we have a baby in the house. Yeah, let's go. Hey, Jason, is this ready to roll? Oh, we're rolling. Oh, sweet. Awesome. Okay, so this is part two, um, repentance. Okay, and so the first week I talked about with repentance, I talked about, um, I talked about this idea of staying with Jesus, not just turning from your sin, but staying with Jesus, and we're going to continue that idea tonight. So I want to begin with just setting the stage for you guys. I want you guys to understand this concept, and this will make sense a little bit more when we read Numbers, when we read numbers 21, but everyone, including you sitting here in this room, has been bitten by sin. There's a poison that runs through your veins. You are not a good person. And no matter how hard you try, you are going to die because of sin. I want you guys to take one thing away from the day, okay? The only solution to your problem, and you guys, most of you probably already know this, but is Jesus. It's to never stop looking at Jesus. This is a piece of repenting. Not only stopping sin, saying, no, I'm not going to do that, but also I'm going to now look at Jesus. I'm going to turn to him to rescue me. Repentance is tied closely, very closely to Jesus. That's our response to what he did on the cross. Our response is to say, oh no, look at what I've done. Jesus, I need you. I'm going to set up Numbers 21 for you. This is a really cool passage. It's four through nine. It's one of those, like, what? That's in the Bible? That's weird. So passages. And I'm going to set it up because I want you guys to be able to um, understand where they're coming from. So Israel, the word, when you hear the word Israel, it's God's people. God has chosen and set aside a, a family, a group of people that became a nation, and they were supposed to be blessed. They were blessed by God to bless the nation. So they were like this source of blessing to the world, but they failed at it, okay? So they end up in slavery for 400 years. So, whose phone? Let's answer it. I want to talk to them. No, no, you're good, you're good. <laughs> it could be God. God might be calling, so I don't know. So, doesn't spam, it's spam. Nice. Um, but let's, let's, jump. let's jump. Let's jump right back in with me. Israel, God's people... They were in slavery for 400 years, okay? That's a long time, okay? You haven't even been alive for a a small portion of that. Like what, is it 16 in here? Yeah, you're like 100, no, more than that. Someone do the math, you can do it. But you, you can't, we cannot even comprehend how long that must have been. But they were given a promise that one day they would be delivered from slavery and they would inherit a land, a place that would become their home, all right? So This is what happens. God sends a guy named Moses who gets them out of the promised land. That's a great story. Read it in Exodus. Awesome story. Incredible. Another one of those, what? Can't believe that happened. Gets them out of the land of Egypt and is beginning to bring them home to the land that is promised to them. But the journey is difficult. They're in the wilderness. They are hungry. And this is what happens, okay? While they are journeying to the promised land while they're in the wilderness soon to make it home. This is what they say. Numbers 21, 4 through 9. From the mountain, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. 
Some of y'all get impatient at like a, at McDonald's, like drive-through. Like y'all, some of y'all are like, my fries came out, took me ten minutes to get my fries. That's like a crime to you guys. Hey, guess what? It took forty years to make it to the promised land. Okay, all right, that is a crime. All right. So the Israelites, like you and McDonald's drive-through, became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of the land of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water, and we loathe this worthless food that you've given to us. They mock, rebel, and turn against God and say, why did you do this to us? It's much better to be in Egypt a slave. This is what God says to them. This is what, no, this is what he does. He responds to this moment, to this sin, by sending fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Ask Joel what it feels like to be bitten by a snake. All right, just throwing that out there. Joel's been bitten by a snake. So this is a poisonous snake. And they died. And the people came to Moses and said, this is what they respond. After people are dying, being bitten by poisonous snakes, they say, we have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Moses prayed to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us, please. So Moses prayed for the people. And God said to Moses, he didn't take away the serpents. He didn't take away the poisonous serpents who were biting them. He said, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone... He would look at the bronze serpent and live. The consequences of their sin still remained. And they had to look at a pole with a bronze serpent on it, hanging on a pole to be healed. The first point I want to make with you guys is you are a sinner. In this story, we clearly see the sin of Israel. But do you clearly see your sin We clearly see Israel rebel against God, but do you see how you have rebelled against God? God, you got to understand this is so holy, so awesome, so amazing that any sin, no matter how small it may seem to you, is ginormous to him because of how holy and pure he is. It's such an egregious act. Any sin that you think is small, so egregious that you deserve to die before a holy God. And it warrants eternal separation from him. And it warrants eternal condemnation from him. When I was in high school, I disrespected my father. I rebelled against him and his authority. Some of you know how that feels. Um, I refused to obey him and his behavior. um, And my behavior of rebellion towards him was actually, it became a threat to my family and to its function and to its peace. So much stuff. So much so that he asked me to leave his home. He said, get out of my house. My behavior, my sin, warranted separation from my dad, warranted separation from my family. Ultimately, ultimately, it warrants an earthly death, an eternal condemnation, 
And one day I will die for this sin. My body is going to die for this sin. And one day I will face God and I should expect to be condemned for it. That is what I deserve. There are many other sins listed in my life, thousands, millions, that deserve death. I want you to understand. I want you to be able to realize tonight that your sin, no matter how small you may think it is, warrants death and eternal condemnation. Do you realize how serious God is about sin? I think some of you guys think it's a casual thing. And here's the problem. Because you think it's so casual, you're missing the point. Don't miss the point. I'm going to try to illustrate it for you. Every time you sin, you sow evil seeds into the earth that one day grow into evil trees and evil forests, and they taint and distort God, what God has made so beautiful since the beginning of time. When you sin, it's like a, when you're like, oh, I just said a little lie. I gossip. I cheated on a test. These aren't a big deal. This doesn't affect anything. It's taking an evil seed, putting it in the dirt, and then you're covering it up with soil. You're covering it up. No one will know. No one will see this. But guess what? Sin germinates like a seed germinates it becomes a tree it becomes a tree in your life and then it spreads more seeds and more trees grow from your sin it's like wildfire people are going to suffer from the consequences of your sin forever and ever and ever not just the people around you but people forever and ever and ever And you have been affected by sin of others as well. Your sin is also like taking a beautiful picture. Some of you guys are artists in this room. It's like taking a beautiful picture of art and ripping it to shreds over and over again until the work is completely gone, unseen, and forgotten. You can't even recognize it at all. I remember when I was a little kid, I was four years old, me and my dad were drawing together a picture I was drawing a picture. He was drawing a picture. He drew a picture of a little boy. I took that picture, looked at it, and I tore it to shreds to my dad's surprise. The little boy in the picture was me. This is how sin works. Sin plays a nasty trick on the sinner. What the sinner doesn't realize as he tears up the artwork in his sin is that he is the work of art. You are eating yourself alive. You are killing yourself as you sin. And you will not realize it until it's too late. Sin is really easy. Sin is really tempting. Sin makes you actually feel kind of good and powerful and strong. No one's going to tell me how to live my life. No God is going to tell me how to live. No rules. I'm going to live the way I want. Therefore, you will be condemned. That's my second point. You are a sinner, and you are going to be condemned. What does God do to his people when they sin? He takes it so seriously. He sends snakes, venomous snakes, to bite them and kill them. This is the brilliance of the Bible. When you start digging into the Bible, it is so cool. Where do we see snakes in the Bible? Genesis 3. Where do we see the first act of sin? It's with a snake. Adam and Eve and a snake. A snake that lies to them, convinces them that 
the easier way is better. This is better. This is good for me to do it the way I want to do it, not to listen to what God has told me to do, to rebel. And here God sends snakes to bite them. What's also really beautiful is in Genesis 3, there's a promise of a man who will come who will crush the head of the snake. Huh, interesting. So Israel, in Numbers 21, thousands of years later, is having a snake problem again. And they need someone to come and crush the head of these snakes. And you might be thinking right now, man, why can't God just forget? Why can't he just let it go? Why can't he just turn his head and say, it's okay, I'm going to ignore that, I'm going to get over it. This kind of thinking is seriously mistaken, is deadly to you. You are missing the severity of your sin because you're missing the point that your sin destroys you and God is crazy in love with you. Anything that attacks you, he wants to kill. And this sin, it attacks you. And like a good, good father, he wants to protect his children. And so he fights for you. That's why he takes it so seriously. He takes your eternity seriously. Those who think, oh, why can't God just turn away and look the other way? You're missing how lovable you are. You're forgetting who you are and how passionate God is about you. God is passionate about sin and about killing it because it separates you from him. It keeps you away from his presence. It robs him of you. You can't know God and God can't know you in your sin and your sin slowly kills you. Your sin destroys his work and his creation and you are the creation. One of the problems that many of us face in this room is that we don't believe our sin is that big of a deal. You sin today and you don't think it's that big of a deal. I don't think it's that big of a deal enough. We don't believe that following God is worth it because we have been deceived. We think that what our feeling is, what our heart is, what we desire, what the, the way that we want it is the way, the truth, and the life. We think that our way is the best way, the fun way. God's way is boring. I'm telling you, God's way is the best. And it leads to eternal life. There is a purpose behind this world. There is right and wrong, and there is truth. So when you choose to date a girl or boy and you choose to date them for your own physical attention and you choose to date them because you want to feel loved, when you choose to gossip because you want to be seen as better than that person, when you choose to name call and make fun of someone because you want to fit in, when you choose to disrespect your parents because you want to do it your way, when you choose to cheat on a test because you want to have a good grade and not get in trouble, this is all out of order and this is not how it should be. And let me tell you, if you play by these rules, do not be surprised when your boyfriend and girlfriend break up with you because they cheated on you. Because all you were doing was using them for yourself too. Don't be surprised when you get cheated on because you are playing by those rules. Don't be surprised when they take advantage of you because you are taking advantage of them. Don't be surprised if you get bullied because you are also the bully. Don't be surprised if you become a parent who has kids who disrespect you. Don't be surprised if someone cheats on you because you cheated on your tests and your grades. Don't be surprised if you get cheated in life. 
These are the rules of sin. These are the rules that you play by, and so these are the rules that you are going to die by, and so will I. Because I'm a sinner, and because you are too, we are condemned and judged and sentenced to death and eternal separation from God, and this is right, and this is how it should be. May God get rid of all sin. May he get rid of me if I plant seeds of evil into this earth that grow into forests that wound others. You know what's interesting about sin? Is you definitely want to bury it like a seed. But that's just how you grow it. you got to pull the seed out. Someone's got to pull it out. Take it up by the roots. But we just cover it up. What repentance says is you can uncover it now. You can turn away from it. You can dig it up and give it to God. He'll take care of it. That's my third point, is you are rescued. I want you guys to understand something. When you sin, you are in alliance with the most evil people in all the world. Just a little. I just disrespected my parents. You are in alliance with the evil people of the world. I just watched a documentary about a father who, was, who seemed completely normal. Great guy. Seemed awesome. They showed all these pictures of him and his family. It seemed really great. And this father murders his kids and his wife. And when I was watching this documentary, I realized, like I was like so angry, I was so frustrated. And what I realized was I am no better than him. I, in my sin, support that. When I sin, even the littlest, I am saying, it's okay. Aren't you outraged by what this father did? Even the littlest of sins, you're just clapping for him every time you sin. You're just praising him a little bit, saying, hey man, good job. That's what you're doing when you sin and rebel against God. We, we, we like to just draw lines and just, and just draw all these lines. At least I'm not like him. <laughs> he has the same destination that you have. Hell. He's been bitten by the same poison snakes that you have been bitten by. And the day is coming when you're going to pay. You have a debt and you're going to pay. I want you to listen to this very closely now. A lot of us have heard John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? What does Jesus say right before he says that? Don't miss this. He references Numbers 21. I want to read it to you. This is John 3, 14 through 17. Listen closely. This is the, we just went from Genesis 3, Numbers 21, to John 3. This is riddled through the whole Bible. This is why it's worth reading and studying and knowing because it's so amazing. Listen to this. Moses, this is Jesus speaking. He said, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn. A lot of us feel judged by Jesus. He was not sent to condemn you. Jesus was not sent into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Just like Israel has to look to a bronze serpent on a pole to rescue them from their 
poison that is running through their veins. You too must look upon a man on a pole to be rescued from the poison of your sin running through your veins. And the man on the pole is Jesus. He became, a, he became sin so that you can become right before God. He paid your debt and gave you all his inheritance so that you can have a father, have God, have a relationship in eternity. Listen, I love how God responds in Numbers 21. He makes a way, but he doesn't take away the snakes. Is that not true for us? He has made a way for you and I in this room, but we still suffer the consequences of sin, the pain of sin. You are going to die. That's a consequence of sin. And it's there as a reminder to you of your brokenness. It's there to remind you daily when you get a cold or you get sick or where someone hurts your feelings, it's a reminder that you need a savior and this world does too. And even the person who hurts you needs someone to save them. The snakes exist to point you to Jesus. He's turned sin against itself. He's turned death against itself. Now it's the vehicle that ushers you into eternal life. It used to be the vehicle that separated you from God, but now it's the vehicle that brings you into his presence in Jesus. Because Jesus died and was separated from God so that you don't have to be. Because Jesus is the serpent on this pole. Because Jesus became a serpent. He became sin. And it was all your sin on him. And he paid the price. He paid your debt. How does one respond to news like that? A Christian repents and says, okay. Okay, every day I need Jesus. Every day. Every day. I, every day I'm angry. I'm mad. I got to go to Jesus. I got to look at gotta look at Jesus on the cross. It is not a one-time thing. It's an everyday moment. You are going to fail. And some of you guys think you've failed really bad in here. Well, let me tell you, you're going to fail even more and more and more. And your list of, of things is going to grow and grow and grow. Who's going to rescue you from that? Right now, you can maybe control it a little bit. Maybe your mom and dad can help you with it. Well, one day your parents will die. They will. They'll be gone. Who's going to rescue you then? Oh, well, maybe my girlfriend or boyfriend, my husband or wife, one day they will die. Who's going to rescue you then? You have to look to Jesus. He's much better than Emily, my wife. He's much better than my kids, okay? He's much better than my job. He's much better than you guys. He's everything. So many of you guys just sell him short. He's just my get out of heaven card. He's not. He's your every, I mean, get out of hell card. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry, Hunter. You're listening. You're listening. So listen, it's your get out of hell card. It's not. If you were in heaven and there was no Jesus, that should feel like hell to you. Do you love him? Turn from your sin. What are you waiting for? Turn from it and follow Jesus. He is worth it. He is worth it. Let me pray for you guys. Pray this with me. Father, um, 
this, this week I was impatient with Emily, and I yelled at her. Um, I said, she asked me to heat up a bottle of milk, Father. And I said, I just freaked out. I was like, I can't do it. I'm so tired. That's the, like the, that's the last straw. Father, forgive me for my impatience. Forgive me um, for how I've sinned against the people in this room and my parents and my family. Um, forgive the kids in this room. And may they never stop looking at you the rest of their life forever and ever and ever. Father, we love you. We need you. And we're desperate for you to rescue us and save us. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.